everyone, welcome back to Radical Hope Radio. I'm Lucy, a member of the Radical Hope team. Radical Hope was founded in 2018 by Pam and Phil Martin after they tragically lost their son Chris to suicide. Radical Hope is committed to improving the lives and futures of young adults by strengthening connections and building resilience. Radical Hope Radio was created with the mission to generate conversation that will help people feel more connected by exchanging stories, ideas, and advice. Um, so today we are talking to a really special guest. Um, Tatiana is a mental health advocate, writer. Um, she has an Instagram called Bipolar Rights. Um, and she's just generally a great sort of, I don't know if you want to call her an influencer, but a great source resource for in the mental health space. Um, so Tatiana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, of course. Um, So to get started, do you want to share with everyone a little background information on you? um, Anything that you'd like to share to get started? Yeah. So um, like she said, I I do have an Instagram account and it's called Bipolar Rights. And when I was 17, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, type 1, which means... um, that so there's two types of bipolar there is type 1 which includes mania and depression and then there's type 2 which includes hypomania and depression so the hypomania is a bit less of an extreme than um regular mania and so i have type 1 and i was diagnosed when i was 17 after i um checked myself into a mental health institution. And at the end of my visit there for, I was, I think I was in treatment there for about a month. At the end of that visit, they gave me that formal diagnosis and I had a very hard time coping with all of that and kind of accepting that part of myself because mental health has become, I think, a lot less stigmatized. However, it's pretty noticeable that it's only really with a couple of disorders rather than mental illness as a whole. You see a lot of talk about depression and a lot of talk about anxiety and a lot of talk about ADHD, but you see significantly less talk in the areas like bipolar disorder and borderline personality and schizophrenia and some of those disorders that are even more heavily criticized than some more normalized ones. And so I had a very hard time dealing with all the stigma and stereotypes that come with that because it weighs differently. You know, there's more labels of being a crazy person and being unstable and all the Hollywood movies that depict it very dramatically and incorrectly. And so I only maybe almost, no, not even a year ago, I started this Instagram account because I decided that I wanted to write a book, um, a memoir about my experiences, and it is still in the works because writing a memoir is very difficult. Uh, It is not easy, and don't let anyone tell you that because they're wrong. Um, And so I started this Instagram account originally because I wanted to build an audience for the book. I kind of didn't really see it as anything besides like a marketing ploy, really. But then as I like posted and a community somehow started, I don't know how, um, and I got followers and I I had 
people DMing me about their experiences and I suddenly realized, oh, whoa, this is so much cooler and a much better thing than I had originally wanted to start. Um, and so now it's really this, this account really is a place where I get to interact with other people who are going through similar struggles and help people, which is really unique. Um, I've said in the past that this is, I wish I had started this community when I was 17 um, because it would have been so amazing and helpful for me because one of the biggest things I struggled with was that I didn't know anybody else who had the same, um, who had the same diagnosis. And so I had, and I did a lot of group therapy, like, oh my God, I did so much therapy. <laughs> like I've, I know it all. I've seen it all. I feel like, and I had not come across another person like in my life who was also diagnosed with the same thing. And so I felt super alone. Um, and so when I started this Instagram account, I really didn't think anything would come of it. Um, and now I have this amazing community of people and people DM me and tell me their stories. And I love it so much. And I'm getting to do great things like this podcast. So I'm a big advocate of taking an experience like being labeled with a stigmatizing disorder or, you know, having a sucky um, relationship with yourself and your mental health and trying to make it into a positive experience. So that's what I'm trying to do is, you know, take something that sucked for me and make it better and show people that it doesn't have to suck for them. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. I mean, that whole kind of journey of you starting that Instagram and where you are now and building that community, that's so awesome. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about social media and we can talk more about it later on and sort of the pros and cons. And I think that's one of the pros, like your community, like you're talking about. Um, so I think that's awesome. So you mentioned like checking yourself into um, treatment. So what was your kind of, you know, did you grow up like learning about mental health? Was that sort of like an open topic for you? Or how did you kind of ha finally have that realization of like, okay, I might need more help than what I'm getting right now? Or sort of what was that kind of journey for you? Um, if you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So growing up, mental health wasn't really talked about. Um, I had a lot of struggles from a pretty early age, um, I've kept a diary of my entire life from like age five to where I'm at now. Um, and there are early diary entries um, from when I was about nine and 10 of me wanting to, you know, wish I wasn't born and some pretty intense stuff for a nine-year-old. And so I know that I've struggled with mental illness like for a long time. I was adopted, which is a big um, aspect of that as well. Um, I have a lot of, well, so I've been told by my psychologist, which I'm assuming and I feel is accurate. You know, there's a lot of trauma from being a very young toddler and being adopted and being in an orphanage system in Russia. I was adopted from Russia. And there's, um, you know, they believe that there was probably neglect um, and abuse. And I don't, I don't remember any of this, but this is just kind of putting the pieces together years and years later. Um, 
And so there's a lot of things that played into why I struggled as a kid and then later as a teenager. But the first time I went into therapy, I believe was for my anger issues and for I would have these massive temper tantrums, which I later learned is typically like a a sneak peek of maybe having a mental health struggle in the future. And I think I was nine or 10 when I started therapy. And I remember it very vividly because the woman, her whole office was pink and she wore a lot of pink and she had this amazing coffee table that was glass and inside of it was um, like a sandbox and I loved it. And I remember one time something had happened and I like was crying and I was really upset and she opened her closet and it was just a closet full of candy and it was amazing. <laughs> um, and so I struggled when I was a kid, but when I became a teenager, when I was about 13, 14, I started to like really struggle with depression for the first time. And I didn't talk to my family about it. Um, I may have talked to friends, but I know that I kept it pretty private. And a big part of that was that I didn't have a great relationship with either one of my parents. Um, and I didn't really feel like I had the support system to communicate with them about that. And then when I was about 17, I started to experience both the mania and the depression kind of in waves, very cyclical. And I I knew something was just not right because I didn't feel like myself. You know, I I was I did theater for a long time and I was always taught, you know, your body is your instrument. And so I knew how my body should feel and I know what should be happening in my emotions and it just felt like there was a gear missing or there was a button that was off or you know something was broken and I could tell and it was scary and I didn't tell anybody for a while I think the first thing I did was I you know I I went on the internet as you do um and I read probably every single thing that could possibly match. And that was terrifying. So don't do that. If you think you have something, don't go on Google. That's terrible. Don't do it. Just talk to someone. Um, (laughs) And then, you know, after freaking myself out by being, you know, Dr. Google, I went and made like a secret appointment at a clinic, a mental health clinic near me. But I was 17 at the time. And I didn't have my health insurance and I needed parent permission to get an evaluation. And so, but I was so upset when I went in and they let me talk to a nurse like for free. And I just had a complete breakdown. I told her everything, how I'd been feeling and how I was depressed and how my mood had been so unstable. And so, you know, she was like, okay, she, she handled it so well. Uh, She said, you know, she suggested therapy and mood stabilizers and, when she said that, it was almost like confirming my deep, deep fear, which was awful. And a few weeks later, I, I did end up talking to my mom and it didn't go very well. Um, my family or my parents weren't very liberal in the sense of like understanding mental health and, you know, talking about feelings in that way. And so it didn't go over very well and it ended up kind of just making it harder for me. I, um, 
ended up talking to an aunt who I wasn't very close with, but she was, she's a therapist. And I asked, I was like, you know, I think I need a therapist. How do I find one? And she told me. And so I went and I found one, but I was still underage. And so I needed parent signature. And I told my parents, Hey, I found a therapist. I need your signature. And it was never signed. I never got in to therapy that way. Eventually I had a really, really, really bad day at school. And thankfully the high school I went to was very small and very supportive and they ended up getting me into therapy, which was great. So I started seeing a therapist, but I wasn't on any medication. And besides, you know, just cognitive behavioral therapy, I wasn't getting anything else, which for me I realized that I needed some extra support. So I think, I think in June, the summer before my senior year, I was driving home from work and I had been struggling more and more and more. And I just didn't feel like I was getting enough support. And so I drove myself to the emergency room And thankfully, there was like nobody in there, which was great because I was super nervous. There was one man. There was a man in there, um, and it was just the two of us. And I like went in. It was so quiet, which was the worst. I went in, and like I went to the lady at the front desk, and there was a guy there. And so I was really nervous. But I I said, I was like, I'm going to – I think I'm going to kill myself. And then she was like, what? I didn't hear you. And I was like, Jesus Christ. And so then I had to say it again. And, and then she was like, okay. And she took me in and, you know, she did my vitals and, you know, she asked whatever. And um, my mom was actually away um, on a family trip with her sisters. And so my dad came and I ended up, I was very lucky and fortunate to have gotten into a hospital that night. It was a long day. I think I was like sitting in the emergency room for like five hours before I could get in anywhere. And I was, and I did um, an inpatient treatment for I think about three weeks and then an outpatient treatment for another like three weeks. And it was really what I needed at that time. And at the end, and I did so many evaluations. They're very thorough with all of that. I got, I got good care with the nutritionist and with therapists and social workers. And I was very fortunate. Um, and then at the end of my treatment, they gave me a formal diagnosis. And I, I was starting my senior year late because I was still receiving intensive treatment. Um, I was doing outpatient, which was an everyday treatment program, I think from like nine to three. So it was like going to school, but like specialized for therapy it was therapy school. Um, and so once I, um, left the inpatient treatment, it was my senior year of high school and I was being monitored very closely by a lot of my family and my teachers and my friends. Um, things were quite different because I had a history of self-harm. And so, Um, at home, scissors were locked in a safe, knives, anything I could harm myself with, which I was a pretty creative self-harmer. So that eliminated a lot of things. Even at school, I had to ask to use a pair of scissors and certain items. Um, and I was doing really well, which was because 
I was planning on going to college and I want to go to college like five hours away from home. And there was a lot of back and forth debate on whether I was mentally well enough to. And so I kind of rushed and rushed and rushed to get as good as I possibly could almost to convince people like, hey, I'm mentally fine. When in reality, I was self-harming in the bathroom and not taking care of myself and staying up for days on end and really not actually okay. But I went off to college and my first semester, really towards the end, I ended up back in a psychiatric hospital, um, a much shorter stay. Um, I think I spent my 19th birthday in that hospital, but it was, it was nice. They brought me like a little cake. It was sweet. Um, and when I got out, uh, literally COVID happened <laughs> and then the world shut down and I was like, okay. Um, but ever since then I've been stable and healthy and I still struggle. Like I, I still have days and months and weeks where I have a hard time and need some extra support. But I've, you know, if you, I've done therapy enough. I've, I've learned enough about myself and bipolar and, um, how to take care of myself that I've gotten to a place where I, you know, I haven't self-harmed in a while. I've, my mood has been consistent, not perfect, but consistent. Um, and I'm very lucky that I haven't had to have intensive treatment in a long time since 2019. So almost two years. Um, so I'm doing a lot better now and I'm grateful because now I have this amazing community where I've learned so much through my experiences and I can share them with other people. That's awesome. I mean, it's so incredibly like you were so incredibly brave to kind of like seek that support and help for yourself and be self-aware enough to say something's not right here um, and really reach out for help because I think no matter sort of what it is, a lot of people can struggle reaching out for help initially and saying something is wrong and something's not okay. Um, so I just think that, you know, is an incredible story um, of how to kind of advocate for yourself and make sure people know like something's, you know, this is not okay and not taking no for an answer on that first try and saying we got to do something about this. And yeah, I just think that's incredible. But um, yeah, yeah, of course. So when you, first got your diagnosis, like, did you feel a sense of like defeat almost? Were you scared or did you feel for the first time, like, here's a, something I can put a name to how I'm feeling and I can work towards, you know, a goal, like sort of how was that initial reaction that you had? Oh, it was very complicated. Um, I think it's a combination of everything because I, I, you know, I think I knew that it was coming um, because m when I was unwell, it was very just standard textbook bipolar. And I knew it was coming. And so in a way, I was prepared. But it was very different to hear someone say it. Because at this point, I had not actually said the words yet. It had been danced around in therapy because – I wasn't comfortable with it yet. And then when I got that diagnosis, a part of me felt 
almost that relief of like, okay, this is a label that we know how to help and it can inform, you know, treatment and that's great. But another, but a really big part of me felt, oh my God, this is so terrible. And I hate this and I'm broken and I'm crazy. And I let all of those stereotypes that, you know, the social world has put on these kind of melt into me. And I struggled a lot with, you know, honestly, I couldn't even say the word bipolar for a long time. I would not, I couldn't verbally say it out loud because it just felt, I just felt like, why me? How could it be me? This sucks. It just sucked. It really was just so unfortunate and so sucky. And I felt like I was just kicked to the ground and I hated it. And I thought, this can't be me. This isn't me. But and it took me a really long time to accept that, you know, I'm, I have bipolar and I'm not bipolar and differentiating that. Because I also struggled with the fact that I didn't want to tell anybody because I didn't want to be judged. But I was also hyper aware of the fact that by not talking about it and not speaking, I'm adding to that stigma and then being part of the problem, which I also didn't want because the problem was the reason that I didn't feel comfortable. And so it's still not some, it's very funny because on social media, I'm so open about it. <laughs> and I, and I talk to strangers on the internet about it, but in real life, I, I don't really bring it up. I, I still, you know, feel, I still shelter that from people because the reality is that it is something that is still really stigmatized and it's, you know, I'll talk to people and they'll talk about their depression and their anxiety and it's so normal. But illnesses like bipolar and borderline and schizophrenia and some of the other ones that are a bit harsh, more harshly criticized now are still super stigmatized. And I know they are because I don't see posts about bipolar disorder. I don't, you know, People aren't just talking about it casually at dinner or if you talk about like, I don't know, at dinner. But um, I know it's still stigmatized because I don't feel comfortable talking to people about it a lot of times or mentioning it or bringing it up casually. And, you know, and it's the fact that I, I, I was a host on a uh, on a group talk a while ago and we were talking about, well, is bipolar still as stigmatized? And it is because we still have to talk about it. You know, we still have to make such an effort to normalize it and tell people and inform people. Whereas I think depression and anxiety and ADHD have become normalized to a point where it's really not as stigmatized as it used to be, which is great. But it's some of those other illnesses that still get a bad rep because of the way, you know, Hollywood and drama and all those things have displayed them. And it's unfortunate, but we're going to get there one day. It's, it, it is a, what is it that the, it says? It's a mirror. It's a sprint, not a, I don't know that quote, but it, <laughs> marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. I think precisely. Yeah. yeah you got I, it. Yeah. It's, that is really interesting. And I feel like, I don't know if I've just never thought of it that way before. Maybe I'm part of the problem, but I wonder why, or if you have any thoughts on sort of why we have sort of socially accepted anxiety and depression and ADHD and mental illnesses like that more quickly and with 
you know, open arms as opposed to bipolar and borderline and the rest of them and sort of why there's a difference and, you know, why, you know, when all of a sudden we're like breaking down stigma, why it only happened for some mental illnesses and not others. Um, Obviously we don't have the answers, but I'd love to know like sort of why you think that might be the case. Yeah. I mean, my first, so my first thought is, you know, depression, ADHD, anxiety are very, very, very common. Bipolar is also common. It is it is not it is not rare. I can guarantee you there's someone that you know or a friend that has it, some form of it. Um I think the biggest difference comes down to education around it. Um there's a lot of misunderstanding in what bipolar disorder is. You know, I've and it's the most annoying thing. Um, I'll tell people that I have this and then they'll say something back like, oh, well, I'm really moody too. I think I might have bipolar and it's more than moods. And I think people have a lot of really large misconceptions about what it is. And so I think one of the reasons it's not as normalized is just because it's less understood. Um, whereas depression is very well understood, um, and bipolar and even borderline are very, very common. They are they are not rare, even in the slightest. But I think it has to do with understanding and the level of education and the way that, you know, um, people, I don't know. It, but I really, I think part of it must be that people just don't understand it as well. And on my Instagram account, I'm trying to educate and trying to show people that it's more than just being moody. It's more than just, you know, feeling happy or sad. Um, and it's much more complicated than that. So I don't know exactly why, though, you know, the when it came down to tearing down the stigma, those were targeted more than others. But Hopefully we can, now that we've got those covered, we can like move on <laughs> to, to the next wave of acceptance. You know, we're going to hop on the acceptance train too. And hopefully, you know, the more that we educate and the more that we talk about it and the more that people begin to understand it, it'll change. Because there's, I mean, and I think part of it too is there's still people say, oh my God, well, you know, it rained and then it was sunny. The weather, the weather is so bipolar or, you know, and like, they'll be like, oh, my God, that woman was crazy. I wonder if she's bipolar. And there's still all of this, not hate speech, but very stigmatizing speech around it that is super normal, that only adds to how people perceive these illnesses. And so I don't hear that as much with depression and anxiety as much as I do with other things. And so I think we need to change the narrative about what these illnesses are and what they're like, how they're represented and kind of help people understand them a bit more because, you know, ignorance um, is something that stands between like understanding and, you know, not understanding and understanding. And so if we can educate people and show people that, you know, this isn't scary. I think there's all these crazy things people think like, oh, well, people's bipolar are crazy and they're murderers. And we're not. Definitely not. I've never killed anything except maybe a spider. I've killed like spiders and centipedes. They're creepy. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, we just got to educate more people. And when we get that down, then we can move forward. 
I think you're totally right. I think it comes down to sort of like education and representation are huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you're, I think you're definitely right on that. And I think, you know, I hope that we get there sometime soon to kind of like end this stigma for mental health and mental illness in general. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, you know, all right, we've, we've heard it all. It's time to start, you know, educating and making sure that we're telling people like, this is so much more normal than everyone has told you your whole life. Yeah. And there's no reason to feel like, you know, you can't reach out for help or talk about this or Mm -hmm. whatever it may be. And I think also that's why your Instagram has become so popular is because people feel like it's a safe space where someone's telling you, okay, this isn't like the most rare thing in the world that I have and I'm alone in this. You're telling people like, no, I'm here with you. All of these people are here with you. Like, this isn't a journey that you have to take all by yourself and, you know, here are the facts and, you know, some education around that. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. I, and I think that's the best part of the Instagram account is when I was diagnosed, I didn't know anybody and I felt very, very alone and it was very, you know, polarizing to feel like, Oh my God, I'm the only one who understands. And because you do feel that way. And even though bipolar is so common, People don't like, you don't walk up to someone and go, oh, hi, I have bipolar. What's your name? You know, and so you could know someone and then maybe they just have never mentioned it. Um, And so it is, it made me feel very, very alone. And I, you know, I've read a lot of books to kind, I've read a lot of memoirs from people who had bipolar, which also very sparing, like not many of those either. And so, that and, and that's the reason I'm working on my memoir is because I have a story that I know other people relate to. And I know that reading other people's stories brought me a lot of clarity and understanding in myself and made me feel a lot less alone than I had originally felt. And so I'm, I started this Instagram account to help people feel less alone and to be like, hey, I get it. And you get it. And we can be together in this. And also writing the book is a way in which I want to share my story because I think I have learned a lot and experienced a lot that can be very helpful for other people. Not even just people with bipolar disorder, but people who know someone who has bipolar disorder, a loved one or a family member. And it's interesting because I get a lot of DMs, people asking questions, and I get the most DMs, not from people who have it, but from people who know someone who does, a family member, a spouse, a sibling, because they want to understand really badly and they want someone to explain to them. And I think that is such a beautiful and magical and incredible thing because I didn't expect that. And that is one of my favorite parts of running the account is when people talk to me and ask me questions, not because they're curious about themselves, but because they care deeply about another person. And that to me is just so beautiful and warms my heart and tells me that we are going in the right direction, you know? Yeah, exactly. That That's awesome to hear. And um, yeah, I love that. So I mean, obviously your Instagram page is probably a resource for a lot of people, um, but do you have any like favorite mental health resources or pages you turn to or websites or anything like that or any tips that you love, like aside from, you know, therapy and all of that, anything like 
you'd want to share that helps you or anything like that? Yeah. So right now, um, I actually have a partnership with the app called Nuna. It's great. Um, and I've been working with them. They are a mental health app. And on it, so I'll, I will be so genuinely honest right now. I had very low expectations. I did because there are so many apps that, you know, say, I'm going to help you with your mental health. I'm going to do blah, 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 blah. They do. There's so many of those. And then you download the app and they're kind of crappy and they're not, they're doing nothing special. They're like, here's a gratitude journal and here's a list of coping skills and um, good luck, you know? And so when I started using the app, I was actually very pleasantly surprised because some of the things that they, some of the tools that they can give you are actually really good and are genuinely the type of tools that if I went to a therapist and they told me, I would be like, oh, really? I, I would, you know, because every now and then my therapist will say something. And even last week we were talking and he was like, I just want to, you're going to hate me for a second, but is it that you can't or that you won't? And I hated that. And I was like, shit, you know, <laughs> dang it. And so Nuna does stuff like that where they gave me tools that I had no idea even existed and that I'm so grateful that I can use now because they're genuinely really helpful. Now, um, it does cost money for an annual membership, but I, um, because I'm partnered with them, I do have a 50% off, um, link. And so, um, that's in my Instagram bio, or you can DM me for it. I'm, I love when people DM me always, always talk to me. I'm, I'm always on my phone. (laughs) Um, and so I, I genuinely think that is a resource and an app that I am very picky with these types of things and I genuinely enjoy it. And so that is a resource that I would recommend to people. And if you don't want to pay the full price, I have a special code. So you can look for it in my bio or you can DM me and I will give it to you. And um, it's also would be a great gift for because Christmas, um, it would be a great gift if you know someone who needs some mental health support. If you want to do that for them, it's a great holiday gift as well. That's awesome. That's really good to know. Um, that's great. So, one final question I ask all of my guests who come on the podcast um, if you have one piece of advice that you would like to give our listeners, it can be mental health related, it can just be life related. It can be something you came up with on your own or something you've heard that you love, but just like one favorite piece of advice that you'd like to give everyone. I think that my favorite piece of advice, and this isn't really related to bipolar. It's just a piece of advice that was a hard pill to swallow for me, but very influential. And it is that if you are constantly trying to change someone else, you are also unwilling to change. And that is a hard pill to swallow, but it has lately been very valuable for me. And so I'm going to share that wisdom if anybody else needs it. That's great. I love that piece of advice. It is, you're right, definitely a tough pill to swallow, but sometimes that's the best advice out there. The advice to kind of look in the mirror and be like, what do I need to kind of look inward and say? And do. Um, So that's awesome. I loved that. But this conversation was amazing. I think, you know, our listeners will have learned so much from you and it's amazing to have your perspective on all of this and just hear your story. I think, you know, it was really brave and could maybe inspire someone else who might be struggling to kind of, you know, reach out for help or 
DM you maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully it can. And it definitely inspired me. So thank you so much for coming on the episode and talking with us today. And everyone who's listening, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Radical Radio podcasts are available anytime on iTunes, Spotify, and your Amazon Alexa. For more information about Radical Hope, please visit RadicalHopeFoundation.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, RadicalHope underscore FDN. Do you have anything you'd like to plug, your Instagram, anything like that, where people can find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Bipolar underscore rights. And um, yeah, you can check me out. Or if you like me, you can follow me. That would be great. (laughs) That'd be awesome. Um, So until next time, everyone, stay connected, stay safe, stay hopeful, and remember, you're not alone.